Welcome to the Short Fuse podcast. James Baldwin once said that artists are here to disturb the peace. Through our Short Fuse conversations, we engage with artists, writers, musicians, and individuals who have a lens on what is happening in the liminal space we find ourselves working through. We reflect on and interpret the role of the arts in transforming and bringing our communities together. I am Elizabeth Howard, your host. In this conversation, I'm talking with Bill Marks. Bill founded the Arts Fuse in 2007. He is a strong advocate for arts commentary and criticism, the potential for online journals, the voices that can be found through zines and other alternative media sources. The Short Fuse podcast is distributed through the Arts Fuse. We are grateful for his support. Bill, it's lovely to be in conversation with you. It's great to talk to you and be recorded at the same time. <laughs> you started the Arts Fuse during the Great Recession. That was in 2007, the year that the Kindle was introduced. Uh, yes, but when I started it, it wasn't so much because due to that, I left WBUR, the National Public Radio Station in Boston, where I had established an arts magazine called WBUR Arts Online. I was looking for a new position and I ended up uh, teaching at Boston University full time. I liked what I was doing so much at WBUR, creating this online arts magazine. It had won an online arts award. So I liked what I was doing. I had a lot of writers who were with me and wanted to continue writing. And so that's how the Arts Fuse was born. I simply created an independent magazine outside of WBUR. And when you were creating this journal, how important did you feel arts criticism and commentary were at that time because they were being dropped out of newspapers. You touched on something that was really, that's vital for me, and that's been going on for decades. I've been writing on the arts since the early 80s, and I became very much enamored with uh, arts criticism, with the writing of it, with the, the theory of it. Why do we need arts criticism? What should, what's the value of it? What should arts criticism do? I exercised some of that at WBUR when I was able to create my own online magazine. And then once I established that, I wanted to keep doing it. And it was because I wanted to keep my vision, which I think is a, a serious, thoughtful, and I think necessary a vision of arts criticism alive. And I did see it dying all around me. It continues to die. Newspaper sections devoted to the arts shrinking, coverage on the mainstream media if you look at cable TV, even at the beginning of cable TV, and now there's almost nothing on the arts aside from maybe commercial or marketing news, celebrity news. So it, and so it doesn't surprise me at this point where even in universities, we're seeing arts departments endangered, being cut or phased out because it's about of a general, what can we say? I don't want to say diminution of the arts. And that began with the diminution of arts criticism and arts coverage. Arts coverage is like the canary in the mine shaft. Once it was gone, that only signified that the arts themselves would be in danger. And that's what's happened. This is one of three interviews that we're going to do and, and conversations about arts commentary and criticism and books. Anne Schulberg, who is the founder of a book review program called Book Post, said that she's interested in the magnitude of thought that sustained reflection 
and a kind of demonstrable argument, which without having good criticism or commentary, we lose. I would agree. I would just expand on it a bit to say, for me, the heart of arts criticism is the idea of judgment and everything that makes up judgment. Judgment is also not just an individual verdict that one has about a book or a film that you see and coming up with evidence and analysis to back it up, but it also should be part of the larger conversation. In other words, it's an exchange of views. By writing criticism, you are articulating the value of the art through your judgment. You're saying, this is good, this is bad, this is sort of mixed. All this is an assertion, an articulation of what you find valuable in the work of art, whatever it is that you're reviewing. That hopefully becomes part of a larger social context so that other people will read it. And instead of simply seeing art as a consumer, something to consume, like you go to a bakery and you have a donut, the idea here is that what she's talking about, reflection, I also agree with. Reflection is going to be part of that articulation of what the value of the art is. That should be part of a larger social context. That The social context, I think, is partly what gets lost in discussing the value of arts criticism. It's not just, oh, we want to have someone decide, talk about what movie is good or what movie is bad or what book is, should be read and what book should not be read, but that it be, should be shared in a larger context so that people can exchange views. That gets us into that idea of diversity, diversity of opinion, diversity of judgment. And that's why one good thing that's happening in arts criticism today is that we're having, there's so many other voices available. They're not available in the mainstream media. Black voices from around the world, international critics are more critics than ever before. And they're coming from different backgrounds, different cultures. I think that's terrific. I would want a polyphonic, all-inclusive discussion of what books are good and what books are bad. You teach arts criticism at Boston University. What we study is a combination of what's going on in the present and what went on in the past. I have students bring in what I say, good review, bad review. Each week, a student will bring in a review that, let's say, Barbie that's good and a, a review that's bad. We essentially become like metacritics. We are taking apart the reviews to look, do they contain any reflection? Do they contain evidence or analysis? How well written are they? Do they reflect what a critic should have, which is an individual voice? Have a little style. Are they entertaining? All the things that should be in a good piece of art critical writing. And I also have them look at critics of the past. So we're reading primarily American critics from the 19th century on. I have them reading some Edgar Allan Poe. I have them reading some James, the wonderful film critic, James Agee, uh, Ellen Willis, the, the first rock critic for The New Yorker. So they're both reading some of the best critics of the past to see what criticism used to be. They're looking at what criticism is today by bringing in these critics of the, the criticism that's going on in the present. And it's out of that discussion and then writing their own reviews. They write a series of reviews. So they can select subjects that they feel they're experts at and then write reviews. And I give them varying word lengths. So it starts at 500 words. And by the end of the semester, we're at about 2,000, 2,500. I, I think in the beginning, they need to learn to compress so that's why they get 500 words. And then by the end, I'm giving them more words, 2,500 words. They are doing podcast reviews and video reviews. So they're bringing in the, the latest media, the latest technology 
but hopefully applying some of the lessons that we learned in the course of the semester about evidence and analysis and having a judgment and bringing that into our contemporary technology. What are these students majoring in? Are they journalism students? Do they think they're going to find a position? It's very hard to find a paying position as a critic these days. At the same point, look, I tell my students, and I have a number of them mentioning to me that they would like to go ahead and do writing in the arts in newspapers and magazines and make a living. And I I warn them against it. I'm in the journalism uh, department at Boston University. That's what the course is given through. I would say 99% of my students, occasionally some of them will come from the fine arts because there's intrigue, but generally they're all coming from journalism. So I have to break them of the bad habits, bad in quotes for me, of uh, news writing to be able to write the sort of voice-laden, editorial-laden writing that you have to do in arts criticism. In arts criticism, you cannot be a fly on the wall you, it is your opinion. I want to know, you have to bring your passion, your ideas, your background to your review. And sometimes for these students, because most of them are journalism students, they've been trained to be objective, quote unquote. So I have to break them of that. And some of them, I, I can't, by the end of the semester, I still have it. It's painful. And some of them, I can't get them to break it. To the very end, they're writing reports rather than writing reviews. And part of that goes to that idea of judgment. And I'm going to go in another direction here just quickly. And that is one general thing about my students is that a lot of them lack what I would say is independent, independence-minded. They don't have a lot of independence in terms of their opinions and judgments. They have tended, particularly when it comes to the arts, they think in groups. My group of friends think Barbie is a great movie. Thus, Barbie is a great movie. Now. In terms of critical thinking, I can't think of anything more, less useful than to be told by the group what to think about a particular film or book. But they do tend to, my students tend to fall into cliques. And I, and part of what goes on in the class is that I have to sort of battle with that and tell them that don't worry about the fact that your friends might think that you're out of step. You, you look at the film, you read the book, you listen to the album, you decide what you really think is valuable or what's not valuable and put that down and write that down on paper or do that in a podcast or do a video cast of that. And so that I think is one of the biggest things that I've seen is the lack of a sense of independence, more of a sense of groupthink. I do not mislead my students to think that they're going to get a career as an arts critic once they leave my class. Um, maybe Substack. And other developments might be able to give students an opportunity to be able to exist as as an arts reviewer, because some of the Substack writers are doing quite well, mostly in the political realm. But I can see someday, perhaps in arts and culture, we could have an Edmund Wilson of Substack, where, you know, someone who will write so well, so authoritatively, that we may be able to make a living doing it. In 1959, when Elizabeth Hardwick's essay, The Decline of Book Reviewing, was published in Harper's, and Bob Silver's, when he was at Harper's, had commissioned the piece, she writes that it was the the reviews were being dropped into treacle. And this is 1959, but I think now with social media, everyone feels that in some way they're a critic because... They can review books and friends have reviewed their friends' books. 
So we don't have any real judgment, do we? Hasn't social media really had an impact on on an understanding of what true criticism and commentary are? I think it's symptomatic of how we don't really understand what arts criticism and arts reviewing should do. In 1959, if you look at the New York Times book review of that period, it, it, it was treacle then, and it was also treacly back in the 20s when you read Edmund Wilson talking about essentially authors reviewing each other's books in the New York Times book review. So reviewing has always been in really bad shape. It's never been good. There's no golden age. There simply seems to be golden critics who I think rose above some of the problems and asserted their independence and knew how to write criticism and used evidence and analysis and had a compelling perspective and point of view. But it's never been, it's never been great. And I, I guess I'd counter a bit with social media to the extent that I see a lot of blogs and I see a lot of small zines that have some terrific criticism. Mm-hmm. They have people, independent voices, who are writing contrarian reviews to the treacle that you're seeing, let's say, in the New York Times and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Again, what we see, what used to be, I mean, Edwin Wilson and other critics used to be in major newspapers and magazines, let's say, right? At least you had some of them. They no longer really exist. But you do find critics that are following in some of their in some of their example, in some of the smaller zines and in the blogs, or in, let's say in Substack and elsewhere, where they have independence to be able to write exactly what they want because they don't have an editor who, in a sense, is very concerned with issues of commercial mm-hmm. commerciality and marketing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I did I answer your question or yeah, not. Maybe yes. I didn't. I, I'm countering you a little bit with that. I I think technology offers an enormous opportunity for really good arts criticism. The problem is that right now it hasn't been monetized, so no one can be paid to, or often most people cannot be paid to do it. And people's ideas of criticism and reviewing is generally not taken from social media and the smaller zines, but is taken from the New York Review of Books or the New York Times and other more mainstream entities. There is a certain amount of self-interest and backslapping going on. How do you make the decision of what to cover? Oh, that's a good question. I wanted, when I started the Art Fuse, I wanted to do what I saw was the old sort of general service newspaper art section where you would open, let's say, the New York Times, you'd open a, a newspaper, a magazine, even a local one that would have reviews of theater and dance and all that was going on locally. And at the same point, my feeling, I didn't necessarily have the budget and the money to be able to hire critics to do exactly what I could tell them that I'd like them to do. At least I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't say, go review this, when I really wasn't giving enough money. I didn't have the cheek or the chutzpah to do that. So what I decided to do, and also I spent a long time as a stringer on some on, at the Boston Globe and at the Boston Phoenix, which is an alternative newspaper in Boston. And that means that there's the major critic who can decide whatever he or she wants to do. What I do with my critics is that I ask them to send pitches to me what they would like to review. What interests you? What would you like to write on? Then I know they're interested in writing on it. Serious arts events, cultural events that they think make a difference in the lives of the community or that they're drawn to. But I, if a critic simply writes positive reviews, if I keep getting positive reviews, then I will, I will nudge them. I will occasionally have stopped using critics 
because you're not a critic anymore. You're a fan. You're becoming part of the marketing machinery. And I don't want that. Critics must have, as I mentioned, an independent perspective. My metaphor for it is that criticism can often be like a doctor. You are diagnosing the health of a culture with what you're doing when you're reviewing something. Where do you see it being healthy? Where do you see it being unhealthy and why? So the purpose, like a doctor with a patient, is to contribute to its health. It's not to be negative. It's not to be snarky. It's not to be to, to cast blame or be nasty just for the sake of being nasty. You're doing it because you see that you have a part to play in culture to contribute to its health and its vitality and its future. And as we mentioned somewhere along the line in this conversation, with the end of arts criticism, And with the end of serious arts coverage in the mainstream media, one can see the impact on the arts and culture and how they're taken in our communities and in our society. And I would argue that we are not in a particularly healthy place at this point. One would say that it's really affecting our democracy because we're not having conversations. We're not coming together around a conversation and dialogue. You're getting at my ultimate point. I could go on about it as well. And that is, I think, articulating what we care about in the arts is directly connected with the conversation we have about politics. Directly connected. That because we cannot, because we just have opinions, thumbs up and thumbs down for what we like and what we don't like in the arts, I see a direct connection with that diminution or that decay of the lack of being able to articulate value to how we talk about politics. We can't even argue, we can't even argue substantially about Barbie. And we're asked somehow to be able to substantially argue about what's going on in, in our political scene today. So I see a direct connection. As you know, Bill, we've had this conversation many times. The short fuse is having conversations with artists because I believe that it's the artists and those individuals who are pushing boundaries in many different areas, who are going to help us through what I call this liminal space. Wouldn't it be wonderful if students studying creative writing and journalism were required to take a course in criticism? I would, I would love it. I want to point out where there are real critics, where there are now. They're not to be found in, the main, in what I would call the mainstream media. You never see them on cable TV or elsewhere. You need to seek them out. So in that way, it's valuable to talk to critics. It's valuable to highlight critics who are doing the job the right way. And I would love it if there were more classes. Uh, one thing I talked about with creative writers, for example, or, cre- or artists, when they come to my class at BU, is to say it's really valuable to you because uh, there is no artist who does not have within them a critic. Mm. Artists work creatively and they must edit hone, change, etc. the things that they do. Part of the artistic the, or creative act is a critical element to it. There is criticism to it. You just don't create something without thinking about it, looking at it, and redoing it to meet what you thought might be what might have been your original intention. In this culture, we tend to castigate criticism because it isn't it's, it is going to sell something sometimes, particularly when it's when it's doing its job. But to me, in terms of the creative art, in terms of artists, it's absolutely essential that they become good critics. And I'd also argue 
But in today's society where you have to sell the arts to people to understand its value, what better way to learn how to articulate the culture of what you do to tell other people why it's valuable in language that they can understand and to understand the kind of art that you're making than by mastering the craft of criticism. But we're fighting against these the forces of publishing, for example, where we have the consolidation within the industry, so there are fewer publishers. Everyone, it seems these days, is publishing a book. They are all together, and my answer to that is, A, I'm not quite sure whether criticism is going to triumph in this coming, in, in what seems to be the tidal wave of material that we've already had and now is coming. All I can say is that the art fuse is an attempt And I would love to see a thousand, a million arts fuses around the country grow, where we have people who care about conversations about the arts that is meaningful, that realize that we are all mortal. We only have a certain amount of time. I cannot read every book that's recommended to me. We need to be able to find filters, ways to evaluate things that we find valuable and others find valuable. And that's why we need criticism more than ever. What would it take Bill, to have an arts fuse in every community. What would that look like? That's an interesting thought. It wouldn't take that much. You'd simply need some person like me who would be, or persons who would come together and would be interested in curating or bringing together a number of people who write about the art and have a conversation in a meaningful way. I do pay my writers, but it doesn't take a lot of money, particularly because I don't have, you know, I don't have paper, I don't have ink, I don't have distribution to create something like the arts fuse. To me, there are arts fuses around. I don't want to say there aren't, that we're absolutely distinctive and unique. There are some small newspapers and online arts coverage entities about. I'd just like to see more of them. I mean, there are a few. I don't want to say there are none. But compared to the amount of money that's being poured into encouraging news reporting, and I'm not knocking it, but given the amount of money that's going into doing news reporting, that's the editorial writing, uh, arts coverage falls is two or three percent. It's a shadow of all the other investment that's going on. So there could be arts fuses everywhere for, I think, a reasonable price, meaning it would not be an enormous amount of money, but we need to have the will and the interest of someone to try to create the conditions in which that could, in which that could happen. A well-written article with thoughtful criticism really should be more than five words. What, what are we going to do about people's reading habits? When I read the New York Times in the morning and it tells me it's a three-minute read or it's a two-minute read, and everyone is just used to these little soundbite, one-minute, 500 words, how are we going to uh, encourage people to read more? All I can say is that the arts views we have like we have between 50, 60, 70,000 visitors a month that are coming to the website. So there are people, and my my reviews are generally around 1,000 words. It's usually what I give my critics. They do it about 1,000. Sometimes they're less, and sometimes, as some of my readers complain, they can be many more words. So there are. I, I can't change a culture. I used to hate the idea of having stars to one star, two star, three star when in on the top of movie reviews, and they still do that. And that this, if something gets two stars and it completely discourages people from reading the review, right? Oh, it's only got two stars. I'm not going to see that film. Why should I read it? 
So I hate I hated the star system, let alone the two minute, three minute, four minute read that they have now, which is only compounding the uh, you know what I think is the the problem. So what do we do? All I can say is that one simply asserts the opposite in today's culture. Some artists of substance are successful. Others labor without a lot of money or with a lot of what is called success and with a lot of uh, attention. But they do what they do because they find it valuable and they need to do it. They feel the need. They have the urge to do it. And that's the same thing, it seems to me, at least with my creating the arts views and with people who want to write criticism and do it the right way. The craft, they want to learn it and they want to do it right. And that means you need more than 500 words. And I am convinced that in the past, there were a good number of readers who wanted to become part of a conversation generated, sparked by genuine analysis and reflection. I still think they're out there. And now the, the web gives me an opportunity to tap into the entire world of English, at least English readers, who uh, want substantial criticism of the arts. So I think I can generate enough and have generated enough interest from those people who care to be able to sustain the magazine. And if I had a whole fleet of arts fuses around, God knows how many other people we might be able to pick up and win over as converts to wanting real arts criticism rather than the one-minute, two-minute read. The model that you have set up for the Arts Fuse is as a nonprofit, so you have contributors, supporters who support the publication. It, it's not a subscription model. You're not asking people to pay. So the Arts Fuse is open to everyone. Yes. I, I decided early on I did not want to make a subscription model, and I felt that I wanted it to be open to everyone. I didn't want to have to, to deal with the headache of, of, of creating windows. And and so far, it seems to have worked. I've had people still coming in with ideas, maybe should do be, be a subscription. But at the moment, I'm content to be free and open to all. And all I ask is for people, if they like what they read and want to sustain the magazine, that a couple of times a year, I have some uh, appeals, both in the spring and in the winter appeals coming up. And I also have a board, which also contributes funding. And I also have underwriters as well. But then you don't have advertisers. So one of the ni wonderful things about the Arts Fuse, when you're reading something and you're thinking about it, you don't have an ad for shoes in the middle of it. That's driving me completely mad with right, reading some of the arts criticism that I find, even in some of the smaller scenes where they're all throwing in. It's like you're reading a book and suddenly finding an ad in the middle of Madame Bovary or something. And then suddenly here you're reading a review and there's an ad and it, it I find it incredibly disruptive and they're getting more and more irritating and busy and active. We're, we're in the attention economy and everyone is fighting for your attention. In the same way that commercials, that, that TV programmers simply have the programming there so you look at the commercials, that's what we're getting in art sections. We have a review so you'll look at the ads in the review. <laughs> the review is only the, an excuse to bring the eyeballs to the ad, mm -hmm. completely undercutting the value of the review itself. Now, what do you find about the age demographic? Do you find, Bill, that you have younger people who are interested in perhaps not looking at more traditional media? 
I do have, talking about, let's say, some of my BU students, a lot of them are on TikTok. A lot of them are on Facebook. Facebook is now considered passe. So mm-hmm. let's just say, so TikTok is definitely an Instagram. I think they're extremely interested in that. But I do find at least some of them are interested in writing about culture. They're interested in the arts. They consume a lot of music. They consume films. Some of them do quite a bit of reading, particularly graphic novels. And they're interested in learning how to talk about it and evaluating them. And doing it for both traditional media and also thinking about doing it via podcast or doing it uh, with doing it also on YouTube reviews and other forms of reviewing. That I think is fine. I've seen some really terrific reviews on YouTube, meaning video reviews. There's some amazing critical essays, uh, visual critical essays. Now, are you going to review Walter Isaacson's biography of Elon Musk? I'm not going to do it, but if you're volunteering, it's as heavy, it's as big as a brick. It's apparently huge, right? 800 pages or something. So trying to get someone to, to wade through that. At the moment, I haven't found anyone willing to wade through it. So if you look back through those years and that large archive, Bill, are there one or two that really stand out? That's always really, that's a hard question out of thousands and thousands of pieces. So I don't know if I have an easy answer. One thing I'll say is that Jonathan Blumhofer, my classical music critic, did a series, I believe it was of 50 overlooked symphonic pieces written by composers over the centuries. And he would devote a piece to each composer in that particular piece, analyzing the symphony and talking about why that symphony was overlooked and why it should be played. And to me, that, I guess, was one thing that I thought was really great about the arts views that no one else would do that we would have this series of from a critic essentially saying this is art that people aren't, in this case, this is music that people aren't listening to and it should be listened to. And here is why. Because we've talked about critics puncturing balloons, critics saying that the emperor is wearing no clothes. But another element of criticism is to be supportive of art that's being overlooked, art that's not being talked about, Instead of going to the Cineplex to see Barbie, here's a great film to see that's so much more substantial, so much more interesting. And is now you're going to have to find a way to stream it. But turn your attention to things that are more worthwhile. And that's another part of what criticism can do. So I like what, that I thought was like 50 of them. And by the end of it, John, Jonathan said, I'm never going to do that again. He was exhausted. <laughs> it took him, I think, two or three years to, to do the entire series. But I thought nobody else would do something like this but the arts views. And, and those are the kind of things I'm particularly proud of. Well, Bill, it's been so nice talking to you. And I hope that everyone who's listening will tune in to the arts views. It's very easy if you go to the website or just Google the arts views and it will appear in your email box. Great to talk to you, Elizabeth. Thank you. I would like to thank Alex Waters, our technical producer, for his commitment to the Short Fuse, and Bill Marks at the Arts Fuse for his financial support. The Short Fuse can be found through the Arts Fuse, the online journal of arts commentary and criticism, and through Apple, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. If you have enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe. You can support us through the Short Fuse podcast website. A link is in the episode notes. 
follow us on Instagram and through LinkedIn. Join us next time when we engage, explore, and ask questions.